This morning, the readings offer us many rich themes to reflect on. And in a moment, I'll get to the one that I think we need to spend time with today. I want to preface that by encouraging you to read the gospel again and to look at the first half of it. Because this is the Sunday that every priest really doesn't like to preach. Because typically a priest does wear long robes. Typically people are nice to him in the marketplace. And typically people give him nice seats when he goes to things. Now, it's very, very easy for you all to say, yeah, Father, you do all those things. I want to promise you I'm not stealing money from widows. Because that's the other part of that. Um, And as Jesus says here, they will receive a very severe condemnation. The judgment of a priest's soul is different because while you have responsibility for yourself and if you're married for your spouse and for your children, I have responsibility for everybody that I've ever been called to serve as a priest. So it will be a long day of judgment for me. But today, in the Gospel, in the first reading, really to look at and understand the context of what our Lord's speaking of, I want to encourage you to be ready, because I'm going to talk about religion, politics, and money this morning. Religion, politics, and money. All three things that basically American society says y'all really shouldn't talk about. Grown-ups are only allowed to talk about those things, and you're just a kid. I'm 36. I voted in, at this point, five major general elections, uh, or four general elections. I feel like I have something to say. Plus... The priest is supposed to teach you what the church says. And this morning, it's important to know that the church does say something about religion. Pretty obvious. The church does say something about politics. Some of those things that are very confusing, some of those things that are very obvious too. And the church does talk about money. But I say that and preface it by telling you the good news. The good news is this parish is very generous. This parish is very generous as regards its money, and it's very generous as it regards its life of faith. And I don't know what you did at the polls this past Tuesday, and I'm not really concerned. But that generosity is is seen in many ways. Yesterday at this parish, we, we had four young men, three of whom are parishioners, achieve the honor of Eagle Scout uh, with the Boy Scouts of America, which is a great thing, a great thing. And it's a great institution that this parish has supported for almost 100 years. This year, we have more kids signed up for faith formation than we've ever had before. And that's a testimony to the parents who are making a better effort to enroll their kids in faith formation. It's also a testimony to our countless volunteers who work as catechists to tirelessly teach and dedicate hours that they don't get paid for to help encourage the faith. Uh, The most amount of adults we've had in formation, most amount of English-speaking and Spanish-speaking adults. This year, in August, you paid off an $850,000 debt that Father Adams inherited when he arrived here. Those are awesome things. It speaks, again, to your generosity. And if you look at the church more globally, not just here at Sacred Heart and Texarkana, we continue to be the foremost leader of support in the world for Charity, for hospitals, for schools, for programs that truly are helping other people to get out of the cycles of poverty 
We continue to contribute more money to mental health care than any other single church. And so it's known that Catholics are generous. Even in our military today as we honor our veterans, that a majority, a religious majority of serving members are Catholic. And many of you know, those of you who have served, the amount of um, distinguished Catholic military we have who have been in our country and served our country so well. This is the good news. Nobody can say we're not doing our part to try to help. Now here's the the harder news, the, the bad news. Overwhelmingly, statistically, we give from our surplus. We, we give as the rich do in the gospel today. We don't give from what actually hurts. We just give from what we know we can get rid of. The average parish in America, and this parish is no exception, runs off of basically the 80-20 rule. About 20% of the pay, people do and pay for about 80% of the stuff. The average parish, and this is no, again no exception, the average parishioner in a parish gives about 2.5% of their income a year. Um, so they're certainly not giving from their, their wealth, um, because again, American statistics show that there's much more available wealth. Even in the poorer families of our country, they're still astronomically living better off than poor co- families in other countries. So 2.5% is kind of depressing. That's certainly not tithing, which is 10%. Um, And being very honest with you, this mass, though it is the largest English-speaking mass we have, gets outdone every week, week in and week out, by the two smaller English masses. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just being honest, and this is where it goes into a little bit of politics. Overwhelmingly, this is the youngest mass we have in English. And younger people tend to not trust institutions, right? So they don't trust the church. So they don't give money to the church. Also, younger people tend to spend money very poorly. A good example, I bought $100 worth of socks that 12-year-olds wear this week. Those are sharks on my socks, and I'm a 36-year-old grown man. A good example of spending money poorly. It was my birthday money for my family, so that's that. But... Millennials overwhelmingly don't make great decisions. Generation X, you're no exception. You spent well beyond your means, and that's why most Generation Xers live at least once through a foreclosure on their home. Now, part of that skews into the government talk because we also at the same time see in those two generations of people and the one coming up that they're raising, these kids right here, a desire to have more social programming that provides for the needs of others. The church has only explicitly condemned one form of socio-political governance. Does anybody want to take a guess what that is? Communistic socialism. The only one that the church explicitly has actually condemned. Why? Because while she recognizes and speaks against the ills of free market capitalism that can happen, consumerism, the overabundance of wealth, the subjection of people to poor living wages, all those are real. Communistic socialism, at its root, is atheistic, and it deprives people of private property and private wealth. And so, while millennials don't trust the church and tend to not trust bigger institutions, they do implicitly have a trust in big government. And so you see the votes skewing that way. Now, here's what happens when you, as a person, put money into our government's hands 
to take care of the needs of other peoples. Have you ever heard of the welfare program in our country? It's terrible. It doesn't actually know how to take care of people. Have you ever heard of Catholic Charities or St. Vincent de Paul? Probably, because we take second collections for them pretty regularly. They do a better job working at a local level through local governance and through people who actually will see the people they're helping. We can change tremendous value. We can tremendously change the value and the experience of those who are impoverished to understand their own dignity. But if we're relying on our government to do that, what is our money going to go towards? It's going to go towards programming that has generally failed. It's going to go towards things like Planned Parenthood that actually make profit off of destroying human lives. It will also go towards international funding that's subjected to our rules. Our rules that arbitrarily say to a country in Africa, for example, that's been destroyed by crops, uh, by a bad season of crops, you're not going to get our aid unless you start giving abortions on demand to women. You're not going to get our aid unless you start teaching in your school systems that you can have babies with whomever you want to, whenever you want to, and however you want to, for example. When we predicate our giving on the government's ability to give and our name and on our behalf, we're actually abdicating our own charity. That's why the church is so vehemently against communistic socialism, because it takes away from the individual their ability to do the good and entrust it to a government that's not religious at all. It's by definition secular and doesn't seek necessarily to promote the same values that you and I promote. Even in this country, which we love, I love desperately, we have to recognize charity is built upon the individual's conversion. And so that brings us finally to, talked a little bit about money, a little bit about politics, a little bit about religion, to today, to look at the gospel and to look at the first reading. What happens? In the first reading, that woman who Elijah comes to, Elijah sees this woman who has barely anything. She's barely surviving. And she says to him, I'm about to make a meal with my son, and then we're going to die. That quite literally, this is their last meal. And Elijah's coming and saying, hey, you got any bread? <laughs> it's rich, right? <laughs> hey, why don't you feed us? Feed me. And we see in the gospel, our Lord is at the marketplace outside of the temple. And he sits down opposite the treasury. And it's important to know that the, the temple had a treasury near it because people came to offer sacrifice, right? Kind of like how we take up a collection. Is that so that Father can go buy cool socks? No, I didn't spend any of your money on my cool socks. I said it was birthday money. No, it's primarily so that we can keep the temple open, so that we can keep the lights on, we can keep the air and the heat running, so that we can pay for the programming that we, that we do have, so we can pay for our, mu- our musical instruments and things like this. But our Lord looks at those who are giving and he says, the rich are giving from their surplus. But look at the widow. Look at the widow. He says, she gave of her whole livelihood. She trusted with all of her heart, her mind, her soul, as we heard what it means to love God and love our neighbor last week. She loved and trusted God with everything. And he richly and abundantly has blessed her. In the first reading, what happens? That woman, that's not her last meal. Our Lord continues to provide for her. 
See, the hesitancy and the fear amongst most of us is not so much that we don't think that God is good. It's not so much that we even think, despite the bad press and the malfeasance of some of its um, priests and bishops, the church is not a bad institution. Overwhelmingly, it's a lack of trust, a fear, that if we put even our money, our money into the hands of God, that he will bless us. Now, this isn't Joel Osteen's prosperity gospel. No, it doesn't mean you're going to get paid to give to God. You're not going to receive a 401k dividend in two years for what you invest today. No, this is about trusting in God and seeing that God actually works through you and through me to richly and abundantly bless the world. Maybe not in material ways, but in ways that are much more important. So next week, you'll be going through the capital campaign, Priest for Tomorrow, with Father Adams. I will be giving a retreat to seminarians, so you don't have to hear me talk about money two weeks in a row. Lucky you. But next week, you have an extraordinary chance to invest in the church. And I, I bring this up because it is extraordinary. As I said, about 2.5% roughly is what people give um, on average and doing some basic math based off of the median income, income household that you can find on government websites for Texarkana, Texas, taking the 750 families in our parish, if everybody was giving about 10% of what you made, and this is based off just basic statistics, doesn't take into account a lot of variables but that I know exist, if we got 10%, that would be $2.25 million a year. You could open that school that's been shuttered for four years, you could, we could build a new church with relative ease. We could get a better sound system, which I know Mark Andre and I would both really like. Um, we could buy and build a pipe organ if we wanted to. Wanted to. We could hire what is some very important, really good, um, professional, trained catechists to help with all the formation we have for the hundreds of kids and the adults that are participating in our programs. We could have a parish hall that we're extremely proud of in a kitchen that supplies enough space for all the food that we feed people. And we could continue to serve the poor at a local level in a way that we haven't been able to yet, even though we continue to do such a good job. Right now, we give about 2.5%, or 25% of that overall number. So about $600,000 a year in revenue at this parish. So looking at that, that's the reality. What can we do? Well, by investing and giving money to the capital campaign, Priests for Tomorrow, you're going to be investing in future priests who's in their education, whose whole life, like mine and Father Adam's, is made for you. That we will die, live, and give every ounce of our lives for you, because that's what God has called us to do. And I couldn't think of anything better to do with my life. Couldn't imagine living a better life. I love being your priest. But we also need to look at our own parish and see that we have real needs. <clears throat> and we're, <clears throat> thankfully, at a point in the capital campaign already where most of this money will come back to us. So 45 families generously gave 770, have pledged $776,000. 45 families have pledged $776,000 for an average gift of about $17,500. I'll let you know that I'm under that. I gave 12, or my pledge is 12,000 because I can't afford 17,500. That's just the reality. I got a nice car and I got to make payments on it and buy socks. Um, <clears throat> but each of you 
each of your families, each of your families, as you're going to be asked next week, are asked to enter into this time of extraordinary giving with an open heart. I'm going to give you some, some more numbers because it may help you. There's about 700 families that have not contributed. And you haven't been asked, so don't feel bad. You haven't been asked yet. You'll be asked next week. If every family pledged a dollar a day over five years, that's $1,800, that would be a $1.26 million pledge. If every family from here on out pledges a dollar a day for five years. <clears throat> of that, 882000 would come back to our parish and f- about 400,000 would go to the capital, to the, the priest for tomorrow, for the seminarians. If every family remaining gave $2 a day, it would be a total gift of $2.5 million pledged over five years. $1.75 million would come back to this parish. Now, I bring this all up because we're at a moment where we can give from our surplus, or we can give a little more like the widow in the gospel. It's going to hurt. That's called sacrificial giving. It actually hurts to give in this way. But in this way, what can we see? What are the fruits of that? The fruits are that this parish that is already so generous will continue and grow in its generosity. That you will help to raise a generation of these kids called Generation Z, called typically by sociologists, the most selfish generation in the world, although y'all are pretty nice most of the time. It'll give them a chance to do good with the ideas that they have, because they also happen to be, though they don't like to talk about this, they're the most philanthropic. There's more kids under the age of 20 right now that own businesses that are giving back than any other age demographic in the world. That's amazing. And they see that they want to be charitable, but we need to give them a means by which they can be charitable. So giving of our whole livelihood. As we look upon this this morning and bring the plane in for a landing, don't worry, to think about the sacrifice that you're willing to make. As one parishioner said after Mass earlier, to put our money where our mouth is. I believe that you are a tremendously generous people. You should know that and should celebrate it. The city of Texarkana benefits from your generosity constantly. But if we're just scratching the surface right now of that generosity, the first fruits of God's love for us is that which wrought our salvation. <clears throat> Christ's death and resurrection are the first. We are the gifts. We are the inheritors of that gift of his redemption. And we'll never be outdone in giving to God because he's already given us himself. But let us think about how we can, as a people of God and as this parish at Sacred Heart, be a people who lives as this woman in the gospel today to love God and entrust him with our whole livelihood.